0: Welcome to Deal to Heal with E. James. On this podcast, my guests and I discuss topics and ways to heal and overcome in every area of our lives so that we may heal ourselves, our families, and our communities. My mission is to help people to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem, heal from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thank you for joining in. Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. I am your host, Ernest James, a.k.a. Friend to Fatherless Daughters on Instagram. And I'm glad I thank everyone that has made it to listen to our podcast on today. And today I have another guest with me. I have another guest with me and I will let her introduce herself at this time.
1: Hi, I'm Suzanne, uh, Suzanne Howes. Um, I'm from Coaching After Loss, and I, I'm based in London in the UK.
0: Okay, okay, Suzanne. All right, I want to make sure I, I let you pronounce your name before I pronounce it. <laughs> 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 to make sure I pronounced it right. So, Suzanne, you are uh, Coaching After Loss, and uh, tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about your journey, how you got started.
1: Okay so so in the last year just over a year I've had um, a very difficult time I lost my 17 year old son Samuel to suicide in September uh, 2020 and then um in January of this year my my mum collapsed and died very suddenly and then within 2 months my dad had also died and, you know they were they were quite elderly but it was obviously quite a shock to to lose them so soon after um, my son. Um, my, my background is in nursing. I, I work in the NHS um, in the in London Hospital, um, but I'm also a, a coach by background. So I've, I've set up my own coaching practice to really focus on people like me. nude meaning and purpose in their lives you know after something that makes you completely look at your priorities in life and and where it's going so that's kind of the background to how you know I've come to where I am you know just a year down the line.
0: Okay okay so Suzanne the the reason why I, I reached out to you because your your story really uh, touched me on uh, different levels for, for different reasons and I, and I'll kind of get into it uh, get into my uh, reasoning and my experience with suicide as, as we go on a little bit but I wanted to I wanted to talk about suicide loss and and teen suicides um, because I, I just read a Post from a previous guest of mine that I had on the show, and what he posted was that uh, suicide uh, attempts uh, and suicides for African American uh, young men is up, you know, in America right now. And so, for a lack of a better term, how how common or how often is you know, suicides amongst teens, or just suicide in general. Like, how often is that is that happening? Like, is that is it a? Uh, I, I think it's probably more normal. I don't want to say normal, but I don't. I want to say I think it's probably happening more than we really realize.
1: Um, it's interesting because I have got involved in. Um, a national review of, of under 18 suicides. And there is 180 a year in the UK um, that that they, they know of. Um, they don't think it's actually gone up during the pandemic, which I was originally quite surprised about, but often they might be based around exam pressures. And because those exam pressures maybe haven't been there, um, actually that that time frame when they would happen hasn't um you know hasn't materialized but they haven't done the figures yet for the pandemic because they work you know a year behind i think what's become apparent is things like self-harm you know is is an increasing you know problem and access to mental health services there's long waits for services and there's a parent that waited for those services and had a child that self-harmed you realize what a lonely place it is that you don't tend to share with your friends you know with wider family and it you know and and so part of what I'm doing is working with services to look at actually what support is there for parents when you have a child that has lots of, you know, signs, symptoms and crisis because it is a scary time.
0: Okay. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're getting involved with that because I think that um, the reason why, you know, suicide is, is so, um, should I say, misunderstood is because we don't talk about it enough, you know, and, and I think it's more common, um, you know, or even the thought is more common than people want to admit. And the reason why I, I know this, because I myself had, uh, I, I didn't attempt suicide, but I contemplated it. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in a, in a place where I like to say I was living a A.D. life. And I was going through divorce. I was in debt. I was in depression. And then my mom died. You know, all within the same probably the same year, you know, within, within the same time period, and so I went into a, a deep depression at, at that point, and where I contemplated suicide myself, and oftentimes, you know, it. it I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of people, just in general, under the pressures of that comes in life. You know, we we get to a place where we don't feel like we don't have another choice. You know, we don't, we don't know which way to look. And so I know that I was dealing with those things at that time. And sometimes we just have to find that one thing that is worth holding on for, you know, when we're in that dark place. And, and at that time, that one thing was my daughter and me holding on to her and holding on to that thought, like if I want to hear what would happen to her, was the one thing that held me together long enough for me to get the help that I needed, you know, to be able to kind of pull myself out of that. So since you've been, uh, since you've lost your son, have you uh, realized or have you found out any information of some of the things that he may have been dealing with at that time, you know, to put him in that place where, you know, he, he, didn't
1: see any way out um well it's interesting because suicide is so complex and and I've met a lot of people in the last year who've children have taken their lives and some kind of knew there were some issues some knew, knew nothing until afterwards but with my son he had a lot of complex issues he had um alcohol and addiction he had a, a dual diagnosis so he had mental health issues and it was kind of like a fine balance if if he didn't take any substances his depression and anxiety got worse and with him it was very much when covid hit he he was a rapper so he used to go and record music and that was his kind of you know outlet and he you know he's got music on spotify which you know thankfully you can still hear his voice um but that all stopped and so he really kind of lost his connection he lost his connection with friends because we weren't allowed to leave the house and it really kind of saw him you know rapidly deteriorate kind of physically and mentally and, and I think towards the end he had a, a few you know friendship issues, and that that was probably the last straw and he used to talk about being a burden and you know people would you know life would be easier if it, he wasn't here and and it's difficult looking back now because he talked about suicide most days for for a couple of years at least so you you get used to that language and so you you know when you get that knock on the door and the police come and tell you it's happened, you know, it, it's quite hard to believe because you've got used to him using it as, as a bit of a deflection. Mm. So I suppose, you know, and, and at that point it was, you know, a huge shock that he'd actually, you know, gone through with it. But it, it you know, every case has that, that complexity. And I, and I suppose I've read a lot around suicide since and, And there seems to be something about people having a a strange aura about them towards the end where they actually can't take in anything else, that that's their focus. And, 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 you know, and see, and reading the reports who haven't had an inquest for him yet, but it seems like he was in that frame when he took his life, that that was, it wasn't an impulse decision. He'd made that decision.
0: Okay. And I, I, I believe that there's a, a misconception about uh, people who commit suicide, you know and, and I, I, I pray that I don't uh, offend you with what I seem to say, because this is previously, before my own uh, experience with suicide, I thought that suicide was a, um, a selfish. Gesture, right? Because I felt that, you know, it, it was like you're only thinking about you and how, you know, your troubles or your fears are affecting you. And so you decide to, you know, relieve yourself of that hurt, but it really doesn't relieve you of that hurt. It just transfers, like that, that hurt doesn't go away. It just transfers from you to the persons or the people that you leave behind. You know, and so that was my thought before I had my own experience with uh, contemplating suicide. And what I learned during that time is, is, is you're really not thinking about you. You know, you're thinking about you, but you're thinking about other people, too. But as like you said, you're, you're with your son is either you start getting those feelings like, you know, I'm a burden to those who who love me you know, because either I can't help myself or I can't help them, you know, and then now I'm in this, this dark place and I don't see any light. So that was a, a new light for me, even going through that process myself and seeing that, okay, you know, you just have to find that one thing that you can hold on to, like I said, which for me was my daughter. And sometimes we don't, we don't find that thing. Sometimes we don't see it even when it's there. You know, so that was a misconception that I had about, you know, suicide and about people that commit suicide. So my question to you is, you know, just thinking with what you've learned uh, since studying this and even um, with your son, if there was was one uh, misconception or one thing that, you know, people don't understand about, you know, people that decide to commit suicide and you could open up their eyes to that you know what would be something that you tell them that you know because i know it could be anybody especially since i went through it myself you know and 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 i'm i'm a normal person you know what i'm saying but just the situation that i was in you know like i said with my mom and my divorce and depression and all of that all at one time took me to that place And we all have our trials and our our things that we're going through um, as just regular everyday people that can send us down that same road. So if there was any misconception um, that you may know of that is maybe a common misconception that you can clear up right now, what would be something that you can give someone just to give them an insight, you know, on Uh, that that mindset or that that dark place that a person may get stuck in? Um,
1: For one, I would say we we don't, in in the bereaved by suicide community, you don't ever use the phrase commit suicide because Mm -hmm. it comes from a history of it being a crime. So we we say died by suicide or, or, you know, took their lives. Um, So we kind of you know, just move away from, from that phrase, but I, I would say that a lot of the campaign around suicide prevention, and, and we've had suicide prevention month and day, focuses on people saying that, you know, just reach out and talk, but I think it's understanding that it's far more complex than that, it's when people lose hope in a future and often people might have uh, mental health issues alongside um their you know their, their thoughts their addiction there's something about you know having adequate services available because often people want to reach out and there isn't anything there and i know that now there there's a lot more services available and I um, know and, and on Instagram, there's something called the Ripple tool that people can load up on their computers if they're actually looking for, for you know, desperate measures that actually would come up with some support. And I, and I think young men is, is a huge area. And, you know, and that, that's such a vulnerable group, the under 18s. And, you know, 17-year-old boys, which my, my son was, are the most at-risk group. And for them to, to be given some sort of hope or ability to reach out that isn't complex, whether it's a texting service, whether it's somebody, you know, on the end of a phone at that point. My, my son reached out on that night um, and there was a mix up with the police and he didn't get the support. And, you know, and, and we've got to kind of live with that. For the rest of our lives that that actually nobody was looking for him because he was missing um so i would I would say to people that that don't think just having one conversation you know is going to turn things around that actually giving somebody that support to have some hope and you know and and not really sort of taking things personally that if people are in a dark hole they need you know various different levels of support to to be able to come out of that and 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 realizing that it isn't just a quick fix that actually lots of services are now focused on things like mentorship Um, I'm a volunteer of something called the Prince's Trust which is about giving people hope that that might might not go down traditional routes that they might need to go into education in, in a different way because schooling wasn't the thing for them that it's not one size that fits all and just I don't know being mindful flat and you know not using that that judging because I have very much found that it's a lonely place when you've got a child with mental health issues and it's an even more lonely place once they take their lives because people don't understand they're quite nervous of it I think everybody thinks oh I don't want it to happen to me and you know just being able to actually talk about your child and and remember good memories and you know and what they were like in their
0: fun times is, is really important okay okay and you know Suzanne I I believe that the God allows us to go through some circumstances and after we go through them, then we have a decision to make. And so that decision is whether we will be a victim of our circumstance or whether we will be a victor over our circumstance. And those of us who choose to be the victor over the circumstance, it then becomes our responsibility to help those who have became victims of it. And so with, with a similar uh, mission that I had um, to yours was when I lost my mom, actually, three years before I lost my mom to cancer, I lost my mother-in-law at the time to cancer. and then three years after that, I lost my mom. And so going through that uh, process of both of those deaths, and I got involved with bereavement, and I, got, I was going to bereavement for myself. And as I got into the program and, and learning about it, I realized how, how needed it was, you know, especially in our community. And so I started a nonprofit organization um, doing bereavement. So is those circumstances, the things that we go through, that God strengthens us in the midst of it. And then we, those same circumstances that hurt us actually become strength to us that we can use to help strengthen someone else. So going through the process and going through the circumstances of of losing your son, how did you find peace and purpose through that uh, experience to then come out of it and start to coach other people with dealing with loss?
1: Um. I I was a coach anyway, um, and I work in the NHS, and, and I very much do that as part of my role. And because I'd I'd been very articulate during Samuel's care, I, I very much had a strong voice around, you know, the the whole vulnerability of young people. I hadn't lost my 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 confidence, but when you when you do lose somebody and you lose them quite tragically. It makes you reconsider everything. The rugs pulled from underneath you, and in your priorities change. And I'm going through very much a change at the moment. I'm I'm leaving my job. I'm setting my coaching practice up. I'm I'm moving house and doing lots of things. And I've I've realised that there's a lot of people around me that are very much considering actually what does this now mean for me? You know, I need to find that new purpose in my life. You know that there needs to be something else, a new direction. But it also comes at a time when you're very vulnerable. You you, you lose focus, your memory, your concentration is is really poor. And coaching provides a means for a safe space, one on one, for you to actually explore where you're at at the moment and and where you want to go. And and I see it as a, such a valuable tool. Um, And and it's different to counselling, you know, counselling you're very much in in the past and and your feelings and and coaching is real sort of forward focus. You know, where do I want to be in a year's time? What will my life look like? What will help get me there? And that's kind of been my focus in in setting up coaching after loss that that actually, you know, when life has thrown you a huge curveball, that actually, you can be happy again. You always, always grieve for your child or whoever you've lost, but actually, you take them with you on that journey, and you can, you know, you can have a future that is positive.
0: Right. Yeah, and I agree with you one one hundred percent. And I know that you know after losing someone, you know things change in your life, and and I know that when I was going to bereavement, uh, one of the, the um, words or, or phrases that we used is the new normal, you know, so now it's it's a it's your normal every day, but it's new, you know, because some factors have changed, you know, and and, and like you said, you, you find yourself on those days that, you know, sometimes it's difficult, but then you will find that, yeah, you can be happy again. And sometimes it, it, it seems like, you know, it it never even happened. You know, speaking of, of losing when I, when I lost my mom, there were days when I would even forget, you know, I would forget that she's not here. And I would like, oh, I'm going to call mom. You know, I I remember one uh, situation there, there were some, um, there was a situation out here in, in uh, in America, well, I'm going to just say America, but <laughs> specifically in a a um, cemetery out here where I live, and they were having a it was a big scandal and things was going on um, with this cemetery. And my grandmother, who had you know previously passed, was buried in that in that cemetery. And I when I heard it on the news, I said, okay, let me call my mom, and so she can check on you know what's going on with the cemetery. And then I realized. My mom was she wasn't mm-hmm. here, you know? And so you have those days that you you forget. But even then you have those other days that you remember, but you remember the good times. You remember the happy times, you know? And you remember all the things that, you know, that you've lived through and that you experienced with that person that just brings you joy. So to someone who's maybe facing that new normal now, you know, now they're in this place that maybe their loss is, is fresh and, you know, they're looking for something to hold on to or something that will let them know that it's going to be okay. What would be something that you would tell them um, concerning that new normal and finding that, that comfort um, within the experience that they're going through that you know yes right now is you you are hurting right now you are dealing with some things but it's going to get better
1: um i i tend to say to people you, you take baby steps that actually some you know within the first year and i've you know literally just had my first year with my son that there's so many trigger anniversaries birthdays your birthdays christmases you you get through them, but, but they are tough. And I, I'm very much not into any of these um, stages of grief. I think the, the best way that I've found to deal with it, you, you sit with your grief when it comes, but actually when you have better days... You know, doing what actually works for you, whether that's I think I find getting out of the house, going for a walk. I've got a couple of dogs, you know, just those things that revitalize you. And, and, and actually in doing coaching, I'm, I'm finding with clients that actually you have to take a bit of time to actually what does heal you. You know what are those things that you know that you need to do and whether that's you know some people it, it's exercise others it's you know having that quiet time that mindfulness journaling is a huge one um and and it's it's a slow process and I, I think it's it's about how you honor and take your loved one with you because I think if you've lost someone in tragic circumstances you those good memories aren't there for a long time. And I I found it took quite a long time for me to be able to remember my my son in in better times. But it, it eventually seeps through. And I think just being patient with yourself, not expecting time frames, you know, to, you know, you can be better after a year or six months or whatever, because, you know, people could be 10 years down the line and, you know, and have that raw grief. So I just think, and there's such a good community on Instagram. You know that there's always somebody there that will bore you up, or you'll read something and it will make you smile. And and I think it's not being afraid to actually laugh or, or whatever, because I I found that I don't like socializing that much anymore. I don't want to put myself in vulnerable positions. So actually just finding that little community and someone saying, how are you today? Or someone putting a funny picture of their cats up or whatever, it would, you know, it just brings you those little bit of joys that you think, oh, actually someone's got my back here and they do understand.
0: Okay, good, good. So I have, I have one more question, Suzanne, and I'll, I'll let you answer this last question, and then you can uh, give your contact information, let everyone know how they can work with you and everything. So first of all, I want to say thank you again for being a, a guest here and for sharing your story and you know, your services with, with my listeners. And even just giving your your expertise, I want to thank you for it. Uh, I definitely appreciate it and and all the work that you do. So I have one more question. I'll let you answer that, and then you have the last word. So you coach people from going from surviving to uh, thriving. So what is kind of the difference between just surviving and thriving, and what does that look like?
1: OK, so so I think surviving is, is is the mode that you're in when you first, you know, lose somebody that actually is getting through each day. Mm-hmm. It's I, I often talked about it um, with my family about it was like wading through treacle and people say, what's treacle? And it's, it's like everything's sludgy. Actually, you feel slow, you feel groggy and every day feels like a burden. We're actually, you know, further along, and when you kind of can reevaluate, actually, where where do I go now? You know, what 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 will my life look like? And I know I wanted to make those changes, and I, and I, I didn't want to force them, but actually, my life in thriving is going to be in the next couple of months. I'm moving um, to the other end of the UK, um, starting a new life in a new house, um, going to be near my daughter, I've got another daughter that's expecting a baby. And I want to be able to really enjoy those things. I don't want to be commuting up to London. And I've kind of made these definite decisions. And there's something about, you know, taking a risk now. And I, there's something in the back of my mind that says the worst thing that could happen to you has happened. So actually, I don't need to be frightened of anything anymore. I don't need to, you know, confine myself. So that thriving is about, you know, mentally thriving. i not saying everybody has to move house and, and completely change. But actually, there's something quite liberating about actually what do you want going forward? This is your time to, you know, to be yourself and actually think about, you know, your loved one and how they're still on that journey with you. You're not leaving them behind. I'm definitely, you know, taking my son with me every step of the way. And everything is around making a difference in his name alongside that with either charity work or work to make a difference in mental health services.
0: OK, thank you. And and I agree with you 100% uh, with what you said with moving forward and having that thought that the worst thing has that that has ever happened that could happen to me has already happened because that's exactly how i felt when i lost you know my mom and my grandmother uh i i lost my grandmother previous before i lost my mom but you know after that experience it was like well what what else can life hit me with you know that's that's the hardest hardship right there and i've made it through that and so that it does give you that courage to, you know, keep pushing and to make those new um, decisions and those new choices, you know, to move forward. So yeah, I agree with you 100% and I thank you again for being here and also congratulations on on the new grandbaby on the way and on everything that's, that's going on with your life because you are definitely an example of what it is to strive after you know just surviving with with the loss and i definitely appreciate you having you on here so tell my uh tell our our listeners where they can um find you and how they can work with you
1: um yeah so so i'm on instagram at coaching after loss or my website is www.coachingafterloss.com And I I like to work on a one to one basis with people over a three month period. So a package of support, because I think you need that long term, um, you know, support. And and it's kind of like a wraparound care to to look after you. So we have one to one sessions and then those check ins and lots of really good tools to use to get you thinking in a different way and really sort of, you know, blend it to work, you know, to, to what your needs are.
0: Okay. All right. So again, I thank you so very much for for being a guest on our podcast. This is Ernest James E. James, and this is the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. Thank everyone for tuning in. And until next time, we will see you guys next. Thanks for tuning in to Deal to Heal with E. James. Remember to listen, like, subscribe, and share. Today's episode was sponsored by Deal to Heal Teas. Put some inspiration in your situation. Wear an inspirational tea and be inspired all day. Go to dealtohealteas.myshopify.com. Remember, our mission is to help you to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problems, hear from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for listening.